This episode is brought to you by Tovito, the Jewish video streaming app that parents call a lifesaver. With Tovito, I'm confident that when I give my kids video time, I'm giving them content that aligns with my family's values in a safe space. Whether it's because you're traveling with your kids, they're home from school while you're trying to get ready for Passover, or you just want to reward them with movie night, Tovito is there for you. And now you can claim 15% off the annual subscription using the code JMM at checkout. That's only $84.99 a year to access videos you approve of and that kids love. My kids rave about Tobito, and hey, I do too. Go check it out at Tobito.com. That's T-O-V-E-E-D-O.com. And use the code JMM at checkout to get 15% off your Tobito subscription. Now, just in time for Passover, when the kids will be home or you'll be traveling, download Tobito for kosher entertainment that will keep the family happy. Claim 15% off with the code JMM at Tobito.com. A wife who feels as though the rent can be paid every month is not being horribly materialistic mm. and is not being a monster. And that that is a very reasonable expectation for a person to have. And, and there's a certain moment of maturity yes. that a person has to confront and accept where they have to say, you know something? There is this thing called building a family. Mm-hmm. There is this thing called marrying someone and, and creating a safe environment to the, to the extent that I can. Right. And, and there is tremendous value in that, like huge value, like, like existential beyond my own life value, more so than wouldn't it be great to, you know, be on the Simpsons. Jewish Money Matters, episode 316, Creativity, Money, and God with Hollywood writer David Sachs. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You just heard from Emmy Award and Golden Globe Award winner, Hollywood writer David Sachs. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Buckle up, because the nuggets of wisdom abound in this episode. You're about to hear from David Sachs, who is sharing practical and spiritual insights on all things money and making a livelihood, especially by those making a livelihood by those with a creative benefit like David himself. David won an Emmy for his work on The Simpsons, a Golden Globe for his work on Third Rock, and he's also worked on famous shows like Murphy Brown and Final Space, among others. David is the co-founder and senior lecturer of the Happy Minion of Los Angeles. He also hosts the podcast, Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. How did David end up in Hollywood? How to balance the desire to pursue a creative career and art with the more practical need to pay the rent, so to speak, becoming an observant Jew while working in Hollywood, and the role faith has in how we relate to making a livelihood, using our talents, pursuing opportunities, and much more. How does joy help us, perhaps even financially? This and much more with the wise and witty David Sachs. Yeah. 
David Sachs. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be one of those juicy, deep conversations. I have a feeling because you have <laughs> there's so much here, David. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to dive in. Okay, so basically, you are Hollywood executive, your producer, Hollywood producer. You won. What is it? An Emmy, a Golden Globe, many nominations. I mean, you're a superstar yeah. in your career. Let's just say it, right? <laughs> um, I guess maybe we should start there before we get to the piece of, you know, bring, bringing God into all this, because I, sure. well, I'm just going to introduce that you, you, your website is living with God and you have this awesome podcast, um, spiritual tools for an outstanding to deal with an outstanding world. Is it? Uh, close. Spiritual tools for an outrageous world. Outrageous, not outstanding. Duh. Okay. We should edit that. No, we're going to be natural here. But you also have, you're the co-founder of the Happy Minion in LA. So there's a yeah. lot here to unpack, but let's start with Hollywood. David, choosing a career. Did you know this was the path? Were you like dreaming as a little kid to be in, you know, work on television? What, what how did that happen? Well, um, it's funny because I, not at all. I, I, I was actually a government, a government major at Harvard. <laughs> I was I an international be... relations major at Tufts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought street. I'd be a lawyer and <laughs> maybe, I don't know, just that, that's the path that I thought that I was going to take and never thought I really had a, a creative side. Um, and then oddly enough, uh, just through a, a, a strange series of events, all four summers, um, of at college, I ended yeah. up being the elevator man in my building on 79th Street and Broadway in New York City. And while I was an elevator man, I just started reading like as many of the classic works of literature that I could. Okay. And I got so, um, inspired by the beautiful things that I was reading, just that, that it made me want to be a writer. And okay. I also, that sort of like intersected with it, like another thing going on in my life, which is that the school's humor magazine is the, the Harvard Lampoon. And, yes. and I joined that. So there was this sort of like place for writing. And some of my peers were talking about going out to Hollywood to become writers. And so these things sort of morphed together and mm. it changed my sort of like life trajectory. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job when I was 21 upon graduating, basically, mm -hmm. um, on this HBO comedy show on the writing staff. So I just everything kind of came together in this very blessed, amazing way. Wait, wait, wait. This is unbelievable. So how did so you decide you're going to give up your dream, although, you know, your idea of going to law school and you're, you tell your family, you're not going to go to law school. You're just going to go get a job in HBO. Um, and they're okay with that. Well, they weren't really, <laughs> and, you know, getting, getting back to the theme of your podcast, money matters. Um, my, my dad especially was incredibly unsupportive mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it was a little bit painful for me, but, um, he was coming from a really good place. And what was years the place? into years into like actually getting jobs consistently out in Hollywood, which is which is like very hard to do. Right. Um, not that I'm taking any credit. Everything was just a blessing, one after another. But but my father just regularly would ask me, so so when are you taking your LSATs, your your you know your law school exams? Right. And you know here I was like you know actually forging a, a legitimate career out in Hollywood and. He just wanted to know, when am I going to go to law school? And, right. you know, finally, he told me that really, it's not that he was being unsupportive. 
even if I was experiencing that, but, but that, you know, Hollywood is just such a roller coaster and just, you know, you, you can't like rely on any sort of steady income that he, he was afraid for me and he didn't, he didn't want that for me. Right. And, and so, you know, that, that's kind of how my parents experienced my wanting to write for a living. Mm. You know, it's interesting that this conversation took that detour because, you know, some, it's a legitimate concern on some levels, right? We are parents and like, we're concerned for our child's financial future and what's that going to be, right? Is this going to be, you know, where is this going to lead them? But then on the other side, we see you and we want, and we understand from a God's perspective that if a person has a talent and an inclination, you know, to do something and it's all God given, right? They should pursue it in that place. And then God will orchestrate everything and they're going to be financially okay, but just go pursue your livelihood where you have the talents and the inclination. Um, and so it makes us wonder ourselves as parents, right? Do we project those fears or do we just encourage and allow our kids to pursue? Well, yeah, I have a definite perspective on this because, yes. because I think that the answer very practically is somewhere in between. Okay, let's hear it. So, so what, what, what I think, and this is just me talking, you can take it or leave it, but from a parenting standpoint and from someone who you know, it's really worked in Hollywood for, for many, many years. I would say that you can encourage someone till they're a certain age. Mm. So I'm going to make up this number, and this is just me picking a number. Okay. 24. Okay. You have till you're 24 to prove that you have gotten your first breakthrough job. Uh-huh. And after that, you know what? Let's, you can continue to be an artist. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to rip out your soul and flush it down the toilet. You know, you don't have to experience an existential death here. Mm -hmm. Just it's now your side career. Mm. It can still be your career. You can mm -hmm. still be an artist. You can still write every single day. You can still make it and be a tremendous success in that field. But right now, it's your side job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I've seen many people get trapped in this idea because you hear stories about, you know, the person who, you know, had his big breakthrough at the age of 40. And if right. he hadn't or she hadn't held on, then they never would have made it. And now it's huge success. You know what I mean? But I, 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 I don't think that we can make that our, our, our main reference point. Yes. I see what you're saying. Those things do happen, right. but it's, it's a bit of, you know, you know, in Greek mythology, you have the, like the sirens, who were the sirens? They were these beautiful, like mermaid type creatures who would sing this incredible song and the sailors would come and try to hear them. And then they would, crash their ships and all the sailors would die. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, like these stories, as inspiring as they are about people who really make it very late in life and, you know, to a certain extent, those can be siren calls. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a middle ground where we don't have to give up the dream. We don't have to give up the creativity. We could still honor it, pursue it, but we can do other things that maybe is not our zone of genius yet, but it's our zone of excellence and, you know, and fulfills other needs in our lives, like building a family and other important things. Exactly. And you know something, and, and I, I, I'm incredibly sympathetic. So I'm being very hard-nosed and practical because this is a a, a money podcast. So mm-hmm. you know, I know that you want to be very practical. So so ideally, we're we're balancing the 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 two ideals here, and especially when you talk about art, you're really talking about dreams and and nice. everything like that. So all the more so, do you have to discuss that within the context of practicality? I think. Mm. Um, so so anyway, the the. The point being that, well, I've, I went on such a long introduction to this thought, I've forgotten the thought. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes, so it goes. So but, you know, my, 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 ready, my teacher says the hardest thing in the world is for someone to have their head in the clouds and their feet on the ground. Yes. And, yes. and really... Torah is really about having both of those things, both mm-hmm. of those things. Mm-hmm. And so perfect segue. Let's go there, David. Um, God is definitely center in your, of your life, right? And, you know, God in Hollywood is not something that we necessarily associate. So were you always this God-centered? Well, I didn't grow up in a religious um, or a conventionally religious family, I should say. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. a very strongly Jewish home. I guess we were reformed, um, you know, so so there was no Shabbos or, or Kashrus or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there were rituals and, and, and my parents did take um, Judaism seriously. Mm-hmm. So so it was, you know, there was a, a very nice, beautiful foundation there. But but I came to keeping Shabbos and, and, and teaching Torah and everything like that later in life. Um, mm-hmm. When I was 24 is when I started keeping Shabbos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I started giving classes and stuff like that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years after that. So 24 years old to become more observant. It's, it's a time when you're probably really starting to build your career things are probably picking up at that point i mean we left off the career story at 21 going to hbo um what was happening career-wise when you make this decision which any of us who've walked that line know it's not so easy to navigate so talk to us about that well you know it's a whole kind of long story Mm -hmm. um and I've got, if you want to hear like the full length version of it, which it's like with lots of stories and fun jokes and things like that. Uh, if you go on YouTube, it's yeah. called Sojourns in Hollywood. And my name, David Sachs. And it's, I actually gave this talk in, in South Africa. And, uh, anyway, but the, I'll give you the, the short, the, the short of it is they, they told me that um, if I wanted to keep Shabbos, I was on a TV show at the time. If I wanted to keep Shabbos, that I'd never work in television again. What? And they wanted to fire me for um, for asking. And um, and my partner, who is a, absolutely a fantastically wonderful person, and you have to hear the full context to have sympathy for him, which is well deserved, because he was going to lo- lose his job too because I wanted to keep Shabbos. Um, oh, because so, you were in this together. 
Yeah, so he was going to go his separate way. So basically, my quote-unquote life as I knew it was sort right. of like going was crumbling in front of my eyes. Because were you about to write for a TV genre. show? Is that what was going on? We were on a TV show, and we were partners. We had been hired together. So to right. Yes. So whereas he wouldn't have gotten the job without that script we co-wrote. Right. Nonetheless, he was going to be fired because I wanted to keep Shabbos too. Wow. This is double the pressure. It's not just you, but it's the responsibility right. of somebody else. Yeah. Okay, go on. Yeah. It's a whole long story. But the bottom line is, is that it all worked out. I, I held my ground and I knew that even if they fired me and even if I had to find a new career, I knew nothing bad was going to happen from keeping Shabbos. Oh, I just knew you. nothing bad is going to happen from keeping Shabbos. And, you know, it's, I, I have to say that, yeah, thank God it all worked out. We, we kept our jobs and everything like that. And, but you, there's this, I, I had to find, remember the historical figure who said this, it's a wonderful quote, which is that if you, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. Yeah. And, you know, I had this opportunity, you know, to like take a stand for something that at this point in my life I needed to do. I I, I was mm. desperate to do, you know, and I'm so I feel so privileged that that stand that I took was on behalf of Shabbos, you know. Absolutely. And look at you now. You definitely proved them wrong. You did make it in television, didn't you? Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> and were, were there other moments that you were challenged like that, that, you know, because this actually, it's a huge challenge. It's also a financial implication. It's your career. It's your dream. It's your livelihood. Right. And um, you right. withstood that test. Um, you're not the first one on the show who's told me these things. Um, did it come up other times? Well, that was kind of like the most sort of, Honestly. that was the biggest time. Yeah. Right. That was the most make or break because it, it, that was right when I started keeping Shabbos. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of was the, the major event. I mean, there have been little things along the way, but that, that was the big one, I would say. Right. And I guess it's also different. Like once you've established something and everybody knows you stand for something, right? It's, it's different than, Oh, well, we didn't know. Like, what do you mean you're keeping Shabbos now? Like, right. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, getting to that place is still a, a journey. You know, a, a journey. You oh, know? yeah. I definitely do yeah. know. But then let's flip it to the positive. I'm sure there's been a lot of incredibly beautiful things in your career from being a, openly Jewish observant man. Um, tell us about some of those. Well, you know, I, I've spoken in, in, in South Africa, in, in Argentina, in, you know, in Israel, in London, you know, in like all these places. I'm going to Denver, God willing, next Shabbos to speak. Nice. I mean, it's like I've gotten emails from like the most amazing people in the most amazing places, people who have heard the podcast, who... Mm who have reacted in, in just like incredible ways um, from Jews and non-Jews both. And mm. I, I just, you know, God puts a light inside of all of us. That's our soul. And right. that, that light that he puts inside of us, that's, that's a piece of Hashem himself. 
Yes. And and then he gives us all these life circumstances and these opportunities to shine his light into the world. Correct. But, but to shine his light in the world through the choices we get to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So somehow we become partners with God in terms of, you know, this this incredible um, journey. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm like a junkie for meaning. I need mm-hmm. meaning, like meaninglessness and, and boredom to me is, is hell itself. Yeah. And so, you know, being able to kind of just go through a day, even a day where absolutely is nothing, ha- where nothing is happening. Maybe I'm unemployed. Maybe there's a stretch of unemployment. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's, like just like things are in just in a dark place. And yet when you sort of like know that God absolutely illuminates the entire world and every single thing that you're doing has meaning, even right. if you don't see the results of it in the, mm-hmm. in the here and now, it's like, it changes absolutely everything. Yeah. I totally hear you. And I'm sure there's people listening to us and thinking, yeah, but like my life is totally compartmentalized. Like I don't, you know, work is work and, you know, religion is religion. And here we're, we're suggesting, no, it's, 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 it's your relationship with God. It plays into everything. Bring it on and everything that you do in your career, in all your relationships, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because it's not just the career, David, but, you know, one of the areas where people tend to keep most distant from God is in their isn't when it relates to their money, right? You know, not well, yeah, it's their money making endeavors, right? Like it's so easy for people to lose sight of God. Like this is my money. I earned it. I'm so talented. I'm so, you know, connected or smart or strategic, or I went to Harvard or fill in the blanks, right? That it's my money. It's my doing. It's the work of my hands. What can help us not fall into this trap? You told us early on, you know, it was all a blessing, right? Like I'm not taking credit. How can we help people not live in that delusion or illusion of self-reliance, let's say? You know, there's um, the joke which goes down in history. I think this may even be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Mm. Um, as the, the, the one that's gotten the longest sustained laugh in like history, as far as I know, maybe this record has been broken recently. I don't know, but it was on the Jack Benny radio show. So Jack Benny was, you know, like the biggest comedian of the day. Yeah. And and before there was television and sitcoms and everything like that, they had that format format of storytelling. It was mm-hmm. just on the radio, but uh-huh. it was basically the same sitcoms that we have today. Um, okay. So Jack Benny was famous. His his comedic character was that he was incredibly stingy. And and so um so the joke was that a gunman goes up to him in a st- in the street, pulls out his 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 gun, points it at him and says, Your money or your life. Mm-hmm. And Jack Benny is absolutely silent. And the gunman is getting, you know, very anxious and he goes, Well, well, and he says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> And that was just, just, they, they, they started laughing and they literally couldn't stop. (laughs) Um, So, so believe it or not, that joke is a Rashi in the Torah. 
Let's hear it. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you the source for it, okay? I don't think the writers knew this at the time, uh-huh. but it's actually a Rashi in the Torah. It says, after we say Shema, right? right? We say, God is one. The whole world belongs to him. And then we say, V'yahavta es Hashem You should love God, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you want this system to work, if you want right. this system, you got to. it's got to come from a place of love. Right. But by the way, you talked about compartmentalization. And, you know, one of my favorite gematrias, you know, money is all about numbers. So Mm -hmm. so the Torah is working on a mathematical level, too, where you can take two words. And if they have the same numerical value, that means that they share the same spiritual DNA. Okay, Mm -hmm. it's called gematria. So the word for oneness, echad, as in God is one, echad is the same gematria as the word ahava, which means Mm -hmm. love. Why? Love and oneness. So because when you love someone, you create oneness. Right. Or where there's oneness, there's love. Love. It works both ways, okay? So we just declared God's oneness. Shema Yisrael, Shema Elkenu, Shema Echad. God is one. The whole world belongs to God. God fills the entire world, okay? Now we have to bring that revelation into the world. How are we going to do it? Via hafta. You got to love God because that love is going to create oneness. Okay. Now it gets more specific. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and then with all of your me'odecha. Ma'od is an interesting word. Ma'od actually means very. Mm -hmm. So it's, if you want to be super literal, God is telling us, love me with all your veriness. Veriness, right. <laughs> to say all your passion, whatever you're very about. Your right? drive, right. But if you want to go to a more classical interpretation of that, it means with your money. Right. Now, Rashi points out a question. He says, you know, since you've got three things, all of your heart, all of your soul, mm-hmm. and meaning you give up your life for God, that means right. all of your soul. And all of your money, well, shouldn't you reverse the last two things? Shouldn't it be love God with all of your heart, with all of your money, and all of your soul, meaning even be able to give up your life for God? Mm-hmm. And then Rashi says, no, 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 no. The Torah is actually in the exact order. Mm-hmm. Money comes at the end. You know why? Because people would rather give up their life than their money. Wow. And that's the joke there. And that's people. the joke. That's the Rashi on the joke. <laughs> that, can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's an outright Rashi. It's, it's incredible. And by the way, Rashi, for those of you who don't know, is considered maybe the greatest Torah commentator and was writing about a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is incredible. Now, let's, I have so many other questions, but I want to go back and personalize this even more to your career as your father um had presented his he had a concern that life in hollywood could have its trials namely financial right there wasn't that stability of the you know my son is in a law firm getting a steady paycheck and billing you know hourly rates were there times where you were challenged financially and you were like god like what what, what's happening here like Talk us talk talk through yeah. that process. Yeah, it's you know, Hollywood is a roller coaster. Right. And I certainly have had that in my life, a lot of ups and downs, and you know, financial challenges as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, hopefully you're saving money during the good times to 
protect you during or to help you out during the harder times. So, right. But but yeah, there there is no life without challenge. Right. And, and you know, my wife loves to quote um, Dennis Prager, who's quoting, I think, his best friend's mother, something okay. like that. How's that, a, <laughs> how's that for a chain of uh, sources? And. And it's the it goes like this: the the only people who don't have problems are the people that you don't know very well. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And there is no life without challenges mm-hmm. because that is basically tied to the whole reason why there's a world and the whole reason why we're in this world is right. to basically bring light to the darkness mm-hmm. and to finish off creation. Mm-hmm. And how do we bring light to the darkness and finish off cre- creation? By confronting challenges. Correct. So it's not like, you know, if you think about it, it's interesting. If you think about the greatest people who have ever lived, I'll mention, I'll mention King David just to give one example, but every great figure in, in, in the Torah that falls into this category, we think, wow, they were so great. They were so beloved by God. We're talking about them till this day. They're such mm-hmm. role models. And in their greatness, they must have achieved that place where they no longer had any problems. <laughs> and, that, and then and we that, read. Exactly. Then we read. And if you look at their life, it is relentless issues. Mm-hmm. But their greatness surprisingly came from the fact that they mm-hmm. never gave up a sense that God was close to them amidst the problems, amidst the darkness. Mm. And that's what made them so great. Mm. Not the absence of problems. And that the, the idea that I just want to get to that place where God doesn't bother me anymore. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Because, you know, every time we're confronted with something, it's a chance to bring more light into the world. It's an opportunity. And so that's that's what it is. You see, I'll, I'll tell you something very, very deep. People confuse concealment, meaning yeah. the fact that God hides his face sometimes, mm-hmm. with abandonment. Concealment oh, so is right. not abandonment. Concealment is not abandonment. God is as present in this dimension as he is in the highest heavens. We just can't see him, but there is no contradiction. Mm -hmm. So good. So to distill this for listeners, this is, there was such a beautiful answer to the question. You did allude to the savings account, but really what you're saying here, David is, yeah, it's nice if you did the right financial thing and saved money for when you know the year of the skinny cows but really it's bringing god into the picture that's when I, what that's what's really going to get you through this it's not really the savings account yeah i mean you know i'm remembering now what it is that i wanted to tell you about 10 minutes ago oh let's hear it yeah and that is you know people people want to pursue their art often yeah and then let's say, you know, you're 24. That's That was the sort of like age that I kind of made up. Obviously, it's going to depend on the person right. where you say, okay, you have till this age, whatever it is, 
to make your breakthrough. And if you haven't established what looks like a legitimate career, Mm -hmm. then keep on doing your art, but you've got to have your main source of steady income. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that a lot of people with an artistic bent might say, um, and I'm talking from the male perspective right now, Mm -hmm. um, you know what, if a woman really loves me, then she'll support me in my art. And if she's Mm going to be so, um, you know, money grubbing and, and horribly materialistic, then she's not for me. And I don't want someone like that. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people feel that that's a legitimate point of view, but I want to say, I want to suggest that A wife who feels as though the rent can be paid every month is not being horribly materialistic Mm. and is not being a monster. And that that is a very reasonable expectation for a person to have. And and there's a certain moment of maturity that a person has to confront and accept where they have to say, you know something, there are... There is this thing called building a family. Mm-hmm. There is this thing called marrying someone and, and creating a safe environment to the, to the extent that I can. Right. And, and there is tremendous value in that, like huge value, like, like existential beyond my own life value, more so than wouldn't it be great to, you know, be on The Simpsons? Yes. What I want to go back to is this idea, you know, we have this concept in Jewish thought of the Yetzirah, right? which means sort of the negative inclination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think of it in sort of like the classic movie sense, you've got like sort of like an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder, and you're in between trying to decide between the two whisperings going on. And believe it or not, while that's not exactly 100% accurate, it's pretty darn close to being yeah, and it's what the Torah says. Pretty close. <laughs> so, so, the, so the idea is that the, the Yetzirah, that, that dark side, wants to tell us that if we compromise our dream, mm. we have given up our dream. Right. And, and so the idea is it tries to put this stranglehold mm-hmm. of a false all or nothing on you when it really doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why a person can't continue to be an artist and make art and everything like that, and even sell their art and even blossom into a full-time artist. But they have to balance the big picture and the choices in their life. And they have to say, you know something, at this point, it has to go to the side. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to disappear. Even though my instincts and my most primal animalistic instincts are telling me that if I put it into the side, that is equal to it disappearing. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. That is, that doesn't have to be the case. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, it even has to go on hold where I won't even be able to do it for a, a, a period of time. But again, that doesn't mean that it disappears or that you have to abandon it. So good. So good. I love the practicality here. And there's another flip side to this, which is the the starving artist kind of like myth. And if, you know, I, I, if, I don't want to 
I don't, how could I just monetize this? Like, how could I put a price on it? Like, so, so many artists also struggle on that end of, you know, like, uh, no, how could I sell it? And, you know, it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, art can be narcissism right. and art can be vanity as well. You know, arrogance is something that is always available to every person mm. to the last moment of their life. A person has to guard themselves against arrogance and right. it even enters into the field of art and creativity and, 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 and things like that. So, so, you know, this, these are just like, kind of like the facts, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone is vulnerable to it and has to protect against it. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, we have to know that we have those two voices and we have to know which one is talking, right? (laughs) Right, uh, Along those lines, there's a a very famous teaching, but there's a second part to this teaching that most people don't know. Mm -hmm. And the famous teaching is, um, you know, often it's said in the name of the Kutzka Rebbe, um, which is that a person has to carry two pieces of paper with them, one in each pocket. One is that the entire world was made just for me. And the other piece of paper is that I'm just dust and ashes. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's what most people know. But they don't know this second part of the teaching, which is really, in some ways, the main part of the teaching. Which is once you have those two pieces of paper you have to know when to pull out which one. Exactly. You see, if someone insults you or doesn't give you honor or you show up at some occasion and all of your peers are put at the front table and you're in the back, right? You can pull out at that moment the paper, the entire world was made just for me and say, what the hell? Why am I not at that table? But that's the wrong, wrong paper. paper to pull out at that moment. Pull you out. have to pull out. I'm just dust and ashes. You know what? I'm just happy to be invited to this event. It's so nice that they wanted to share this occasion with me. I'm just so happy for their happiness. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. David, we've brought God into this whole picture here. It's an important piece of a whole, you know, earning a living conversation, all of it. I mean, it's a life, right? God, a, a lot, I, you know, I know you know this, like a life without God is, <laughs> I don't know what it is at this point. But one of the things that people struggle with um, is, you know, this idea of trusting and absolute trust in God. And I always tell my, and in, in, on the show and my students and everything that when it comes to our financial system, let's call it right, our financial lives, and this applies to business too, the foundation of the entire system is really trust in God is really bitachon, right? And and if that foundation is not being nourished, the whole I could you could have the perfect system, the perfect mechanics, the perfect investments, but the whole foundation is, is shaky. But but people struggle with the concept. Okay, I have to trust, and I also have to do right. I have to put effort. We've we've we've, we've talked about it, right? It, it doesn't you you work to you know, prove your career. And if that's not playing out, you do something else until that materializes. But you have to be engaged in the world. You have to be doing. You're not sitting in Puerto Rico drinking a piña colada and expecting to fall from heaven, even though it is coming from heaven, regardless, right? So people have a hard time, we all do, with that tension between trusting and putting in the effort. What? How can you help them there? What's your take? Well, you know, it's a big subject. It's a big subject. Um, 
you have to put in the work, as you're saying, and you have to trust. Um, yeah, there's many, 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 many things that you can say on this subject. What, what, what I would like to address is what does it mean to trust? What mm-hmm. is betachem? And what I heard, I, I saw it in, um, um, from Rabbeinu Bachaya. Right. The gate of trust. Shara Amuna. Um, the, the, the gates of trust, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's a new edition that's out that I'm sort yes. of slowly reading that I yes. highly recommend. Yes, the Felig edition. Is that is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The white, the white and blue book. No, no. This one is like a brown cover. Oh, oh. Yeah. I need to find out about that new one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really excellent. Um, a lot of notes on it mm-hmm. um, below that explain things. And they bring they bring a uh, an explanation from 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 Rav Soloveitchik, like one yeah. of the earlier Rav Soloveitchiks. And basically, I'll just summarize it. He he says that real betachon, real trust, yeah. is not a um, is the end, not a means. Mm. And what he means by that is that a person can be very, very wealthy and still be filled with anxiety. What's going to happen to all my investments? Like maybe, you know, maybe the stock market, maybe we're headed. I heard this great uh, quote a little while ago, which is that um, economists have predicted 10 out of the, la- 10 out of the last three recessions. <laughs> <laughs> So there's always like this wave of bad news that sometimes materializes and often doesn't materialize, you know, but if you're like really locked into all these prognosticators, you know, you can have like millions of dollars in the bank and not a good night's sleep. Correct. So, so in other words, what gives you the good night's sleep? Is it the $10 million in the bank? That certainly probably can help quite a bit. But if you're of a particular personality, it doesn't do the job. Mm-hmm. Because if you ultimately are just thinking about all the things that can go wrong, you'll never have rest. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That then means that true peace of mind comes from just your mental state, Correct. not what's in the bank. Mm-hmm. And arriving at that mental state, which we'll call bitachon, mm-hmm. trust, is the ultimate asset. Yes. I love it. Yes, yes. And that, that example of the $10 million in the bank, I think Rabbi Novachia goes through it with the example of the alchemist, right? How he narrates how the alchemist or modern day counterfeiter how you know he will still be faulty because and and a person with bitachon will actually be superior to the alchemist in 10 ways which is if anybody's listening they should open the book and learn it let's go to simcha um david because well you're in hollywood you write fun stuff and it is the month of adar right we're in the month we're having this conversation right in the time of year where, you know, we have to increase in Simcha. 
And very often we've heard about that there might be a connection between, you know, having real simcha, real joy and wealth and prosperity. Do you think there's a connection there? Um, how could simcha help us? Well, you know something, my, my Rebbe, uh, Reb Shlomo Karlovak talked about this a lot. And, and he, he said not, not so much that joy brings wealth, but he did address these topics, um, you know, from Rebbe Nachman of Breslov quite a bit. Uh huh. Well, one thing that he said that I thought was fascinating in the name of Rebbe Nachman is that, um, Everybody is sad because their lives are falling apart. That like nothing is going right in their lives, mm-hmm. so they're sad. But what they don't realize is that nothing is going right in their lives because they're sad. And right. <laughs> and so the thing is, is that, and I think that you know anyone who just thinks about it just instinctually knows what I'm about to say is true. No one likes being around sad people. Right. You know, it's it's a real drag to be around people who are depressed and who are sad. I, I use that word depressed with Lightly, you know, right. caution, caution because I'm not talking about clinical depression and everything like that. That's that's a whole separate um, category. Correct. I'm just talking about pessimistic, complaining type people. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. No one wants to be around those people. And a lot of times those people are also suffering financially. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that if a person is just filled with joy, everyone wants to be around you. Exactly. And when everyone wants to be around you, just organically, just in the here and now, without getting mystical at all, in the here and now, they engage in conversations with you. They talk about different things going on in their life, different opportunities, just sort of like very organically and spontaneously arise, just in the here and now. And it just comes from being someone who's upbeat, who wants, who people want to be around. Correct. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's, it's, it's so obvious, but it still needs to be said. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, instinctively, we know it, but it does need to be said. There's a certain levity and joy that you can exude that just makes you, makes people want to be around you and opportunities just fall on your lap because people want to do business and work and create projects with people that it's easy to hang around with, to be with, right? Yeah. Which, you know, might lead to wealth or it might just lead to fulfillment and or both at the same time, but it's certainly a better way of living. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And, you know, we... I don't know why I'm thinking of asking you this question. It's probably because I just had a, had a hard conversation with a group of women where it, it, you might, you may have seen this before, David, where people struggle, maybe not exclusively women, maybe men too, but with this self doubt and this like, I'm afraid to do this and it's going to disappoint and it's not going to deliver. And, you know, who am I to do this? Who am I to tell them that I have this offer or this service or this idea for this business or this whatever? Um, and then going back to this idea of the ego and the two voices, it's this ego is like stopping people from serving, from putting their thing out in the world. What, what could we tell them? Well, you know, everyone is plagued by doubt, and that's that's men and women both. And 
you know, like I'll just tell you something. My my Rebbe would 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 say the most brilliant Devar Torah is the most brilliant, brilliant things that people will be learning for generations and generations. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there like listening to say him say them in real time. Mm-hmm. And then more than once, he would come up to me and whisper in my ear, was that okay? Mm. And my father, he should rest in peace, was a psychologist for 50 years. And he would say, no one ever outgrows the need to be validated. Validated, right. No one ever outgrows the need to be validated. In other words, here someone is saying something, literally, I'm watching in real time. He's saying words that will be learned for the ages. Mm -hmm. And he's wondering, did I say anything of any use? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So I personally experienced it in real time. And, and so everyone has doubt. And, and the thing is, is that ultimately God can make absolutely the worst idea in the world work. <laughs> and he can also make the best idea in the world not work. Mm-hmm. Right. And that ultimately it's just a blessing for God. And what we have to do is just make a vessel. There you go. And that's it. Remember. The results are in God's hands, but he looks to us to make the effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what we have to do is we just say, okay, this is what I got. And I, I, if, if I've shown it to a couple of people who, who, who um, are reliable gauges of what the industry standard is, mm-hmm. does this thing that I've created meet the industry standard for professionalism. Mm-hmm. As long as it does, now it's up to God. Yeah. Can it be better? Everything can always be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know something? At a certain point, you've done what you need to do. Right. And now you just have to move forward and allow it to fail. Mm-hmm. Allow it to fail if it's going to fail, and then you'll do the next thing. That's mm-hmm. all. Right. And the failure is feedback and you learn from the failure and you move on. And exactly. Because it, otherwise the alternative is that deep down what the person is saying, and they're probably not aware of it. And I'm sure I'm guilty of this all the time. If they are holding on to it, they're saying that ultimately I am the person who's going to make it a success. Right. And, right. and while that is good to a certain extent. It's only good, and this now gets back to your question earlier about right. effort. effort versus faith. The dividing line is once you have met the industry standard, now obviously you want to do your best job, yeah, yeah. but you don't right. want to be a fanatic about it. Mm-hmm. Once you've met the industry standard, then you put it out there. Right. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. And then you go on to the next. Mm-hmm. Because the result is going to be coming from God, not from you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, getting the ego, getting the eye out of the way, and saying, "Okay, God, you want you gave me this idea, you gave me this talent, I got to put it out there, right? And I'm going to do a good job because I represent God in the world." But and then it's up to God, and I'm going to learn through the process and whatever God wants. And you said something really beautiful here that about validating that people need validation, which really is a lesson to us also on the other side in terms of the opportunity that it gives us to 
you know, be kind to people and validate people. Very often I've, I've seen this happen where instead of reaffirming somebody else or giving them a kind word when they came off the stage or when they finished uh, something, right. Or said something, right. It, there was a missed opportunity for kindness and to have that sensitivity that everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be validated. And we we're played with opportunities to spread kindness around us. And we need to be alert and take them. <laughs> you know, someone told me one time um, when I was younger and maybe I had just come out to Hollywood or maybe I was still in college. And it was a woman who told me this. She said, you know, there are two moments where you have to give your wife a compliment yeah. when you're going out. One, right before you leave the house, she's very concerned. How does she look? Right. And then one, right as she's about to enter the event, she's very concerned. Hmm. So those are two moments where you have to be mindful to compliment your wife. And, you know, you. the reason why I'm saying that is because you said, like, when you leave the stage, so you're a public speaker. I'm also a public speaker. After you give a speech, you know, you don't have to hear that you gave a good speech. You hope that it was a good speech. You just tried very hard. It's nice to hear that you gave a good speech. The person doesn't have to tell you that. Right. They but don't. It is always nice to hear. Right. But it's an opportunity you know? for kindness. Right. But again, you know, just to sensitize people that, right. and then I'm sure there are a million other examples other than these two. A hundred percent. These are, these are examples. And, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. David, in marriage, you mentioned your wife and how she put up with life in Hollywood and the uncertainty. Um, you know, you know it, that for many couples, you know, money can be such a tense topic. And, you know, obviously God doesn't want that, right? God, God wants the contrary, that money should be something that unites them, that allows them to implement shared values and all sorts of goodness. And yet we see in the world that the opposite happens. Um, how have you and your wife can navigated your relationship and money in the relationship? What are some practical tips? Well, I learned early on that the, the blessing of wealth comes through the your wife. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like, you know, all of our money that whatever I'm making is mm -hmm. our money, that it's yeah. not my money that I'm sharing with her. You know, um, it's whatever comes in is ours. Right. And not, you know, sometimes when things are tighter, you might sort of like raise an eyebrow at what the other person is spending. Right. But, you know, not to make that big a deal out of it, you know, unless it's something that's truly irresponsible and mm -hmm. is like really going to derail things. Mm -hmm. And then just to just be loving and compassionate because money takes on many forms. And yeah. for many people, money is um, a sense of security and that everything is going to be okay and reassurance. And, you know, you, you, you see that in real life, money, money and everything being okay actually have, sometimes there's an overlap, but sometimes. very often there is no overlap right. whatsoever. You know, right. God forbid tragedies happen to all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. God forbid, God forbid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes that 
you know, sometimes that paycheck can create um, a sense of security and sometimes just a hug and an I love you mm. and a, we're going to get through this together um, is going to be worth more than a paycheck. Yes. Yes. So, so important to be said. And it's an important reminder, especially sometimes for the men, you know, sometimes the men need that reminder um, who you are when there is no money, um, you know, be that person for her. Cause you want, even when the money comes, you still need to be that person, right? You still need to meet that need for love, affection, security. Like you're not just a paycheck. You're not just a, a bank teller. Um, and sometimes it's yeah. hard for men to realize when, the, when there's a downturn, let's say. And, you know, when, if a woman says that to the man during that time, it, it goes back to actually what I wanted to say a little bit earlier about validating and, and everything like that. Mm. My, my Rebbe would use this phrase that, that it, it, it's so true. He'd say, you're giving the other person life. Mm-hmm. The idea that we can give each other life, like normally speaking, you think, well, just only God can give life. But mm-hmm. no, we actually can give life to each other. And it often takes the form of just those validating yeah. words, you know, during moments of vulnerableness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we forget that our spouses need it. It's not just our children, right? We say, oh, it's no, but also the adults in our lives. <laughs> David, um, I always like to wrap up the show with what I call Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where I'll give you an open-ended sentence and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right? Okay, sure. Awesome. Okay. When I give Meiser or Tzedakah, I like to give to... The Happy Minion of Los Angeles. Oh, good. I'm glad you put a plug there. Very, very good. You guys got a new <laughs> location recently, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And and it's so expensive. Please send money. <laughs> send money. We need it. How many years ago did you start this Minion? This is about, um, we're, I think, in our 27th year. Mm-hmm. We're like an independent grassroots uh, uh, organization, just sort of like just trying to celebrate, celebrate life, celebrate God, celebrate the Torah. And it's like a lot of creative people and people really? come in and they, they, they dance, they sing. And, you know, it's like, it, it's an, it's an amazing transformative experience for people. And anyway, it, if you can support it, it's happy minion, M I N Y A N dot O R G. And, uh, Keep us going. It's keeping it's keeping the whole Jewish people in the world going too. I love it. I love it. I'd love to make more money because so I can do one. more good. You could do more good. Nice. You could do, do more good. Support more happy minyanim and all the things, all the good things. <laughs> <laughs> Something I wish I'd learned about money growing up is it goes up and down. Mm, right. Money, spiritual or physical? Spiritual. Hmm. Something I splurge on unapologetically is comic books. <laughs> old ones, old vintage, obscure art pieces. But the, the funny part is that you weren't into that or as a teen, were you? Uh, you know, I I don't read them honestly, but <laughs> I guess I like graphic art, and sometimes you get introduced to something as a kid, and it just kind of gets in your bones and doesn't go away. 
Are you also an animator? No, you're a writer, right? I'm not an animator, no. But I, I, you know, I watch cartoons growing up and somehow animation and graphic art has always just been a love of mine. Awesome. David Sachs, spender or saver? Spender. (laughs) (laughs) Is your wife also a spender or is she balanced it out? Is she the saver? It's spender. (laughs) (laughs) That's a dangerous combination. (laughs) Yes, it is. Especially living in LA. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Oh my gosh. I'm a spender too. No worries. I've, I've become a saver, I guess, but I'm naturally a spender. Today, I'm most grateful for. God. Mm, good for you. And finally, I'm David Sachs, and I believe Jewish money matters because. It really does. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> it really, really does. David, what's next? I mean, you're traveling, you're speaking, you have this awesome podcast. You have your full-time work, right? What what else is exciting? And you have Happy Minion. What else is in the works? I, I've just written my first book. It's going to come out probably in a year. It's, how um, did I not know that? That's awesome. Well, you know, because it's not out yet. And maybe you'll have me back when it gets published. Um, For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. What is the book? Tell us about it's it. Called the book, it's called The Book of Closeness. Wow. And it's 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 like stories and I just everything is like a one page chapter and the idea is like kind of like really just short little stories and thoughts that are very deep very clear Mm -hmm. and will sometimes make you laugh I love it I love it I think it's so needed you know we learn through stories that's the bottom line we learn through stories and in this day and age anything that is short and gets to the point of it. And if it can make us laugh too, you know, if it has like that twist, it's like incredible. Well done. Yeah. I can't wait to read it, David. I can't Thank wait. Thank you. That's awesome. And of course, the podcast is Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. This time I got it right. And it's everywhere yes. on Apple Podcasts. And we yep. will be sure to follow, listen. It's really, really good. Congratulations. David, thank you so much. This was so insightful. I absolutely yes. loved it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks to David Sachs for being here and for an awesome conversation. You can find him at livingwithgod.org and on his podcast, Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. I absolutely love this conversation and I hope you did too. Would you be so kind as to let me know by leaving a review on the review and rate section of your Apple podcast app? It really means the world to me. Thanks again for being here. Please reach out with your questions via email, yael at yaeltrush.com or DM me on Instagram at yaeltrush. I will be here, God willing, on Friday to tackle those. Have a wonderful day.